am. How great I am. Well, look what I can do. And it went to the point where he said, I can do more than God can do. And we know the results. We're in that way today. We're, we all fall in that same category. And it's never changed with Satan. It's always the same principle, the same thing. Satan, it, it, I think Charlotte told me one day, uh, when you do something over and over again, the exact same thing and expect different results, that that is uh, insanity because unless you make a change, it's not going to work out. Let's turn to James chapter 1. Something that God wants us to... He, he expects us to pray and study, read the Bible, read His words. Mr. Armstrong, I remember many times saying, the Bible was written for the church. And throughout my lifetime in the church, I've heard this over and over again. The Bible is written for us. Since we started this little group, I have learned so much of how the Old Testament, the prophets, the writers of the Old Testament, how it all was reflecting toward today and how it fit into this time. So James 1 verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like to the man who beholds his face in a glass. Isn't that what Satan did? Satan heard the word, but he didn't follow. So James, being raised and taught specifically by Christ with the others, said, you can hear the word. You can come to Sabbath services. You can read your Bible. I've known people in the past that could quote scriptures that I wonder how in the world they do that. They had them memorized. But when it got to the point that uh, not being a doer, they didn't live by the things they read. And that's so amazing to me. But being a human being, I can look back in my life and say, do I do everything that I read and prayed about? So do I look at myself in the glass and say, I'm not, I'm not a bad guy at all. Verse 24, For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Do we read the Scriptures? Do we hear the sermons? And we hear that God's building a family? And then do we live by that? Do we put that into practice? It is very difficult as a human being to, for me anyway, as a human being, to completely follow all those, all that parts of the Scriptures that God brings to us. But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty. So here it's, the, it's asking us to look into the Bible. Look into the Scriptures. But looks in the glass, uh, looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man is blessed in his deeds. You want to be blessed? 
you want to grow, you want to be a part of the family of God. Because this is what God is doing. He's building a family. And so He's saying, if you want to be a part of that family, you can't just sit and hear. Too many people in the 50-some years of church I've heard, saw, witnessed, been there, who could quote scriptures, who sat in services, and when things fell apart, they disappeared. So were they looking into the law of liberty? I've heard them say, Oh, we have now liberty. We're not underneath that strictness of God's law. But I know that you are here. Some of you are young. Some of you have been around for a long time. Uh, and I know that those that have been around for a long time have been doers of God's Word. He goes on, If any man among you seems to be religious and doesn't control his tongue, and that's an important part. It's a very important part of God's way of life to be in control of your tongue. Uh, Paul told us that we should uh, be in control of all of our thoughts and actions. But here he's saying in James, you have to be in control of your tongue. But deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So if we can't control ourselves, and you've heard it in sermons and sermons and sermons and uh, in this little group, that you can't go around and backbite. You can't go around and tell people different stories. You have to... You have to have the right attitude and the right frame of mind. If any man seems to be religious, do you look religious? Christ told the people to take what the scribes and Pharisees said and do those things, but don't follow their example because they seem to be religious, but it wasn't true. God wants a family that He can rely on he wants you that he can say, I rely on them. So there's going to be a time when billions of people are going to come on the scene again. God's going to resurrect it. You can go back to Ezekiel, I think it's 33, anywhere in there where it talks about the dry bones all coming back to life. It's talking about billions of people are going to have to be taught. When we go into the millennium, maybe a hundred million people will live through the rough time. God wants to say to you, I want you to be there, but I want to be able to trust that you will not put somebody down, that you will do what I want done the way I want it done. And He wants to be able to rely on you. So if, you're, if you seem to be religious, but you can't control your tongue... You deceive your own heart. This man's religion is vain. If you can't control yourself, control your actions on a daily basis, how can God put you in His family? He can't control. He only can't trust us. It's it's really a marvelous thing that God is doing. Fantastic. It's it's hard to grasp the fact that He's offering to us at this time, to be a part of the family 
that we will then be able to work with the people that will make it through the horrendous time coming ahead and that we will be able to teach them, lead them into the path that they too can be a part of God's family. In Matthew 22, verse 14, God says, Many are called, but few are chosen. I looked at worldwide. I attended Feast of Tabernacles where there were 15,000 people. And I also have been around since then when I see tens of thousands of people walk away. Go back to where they were before. So God is, at this point in time, He wants to know what your religion is, what your belief is, where your faith is. Can He trust you? He says, I want you in my family, but I have to trust you. And that requires faith on our part. So He's called a lot of people. But He wants only those that He knows when the time, when push comes to shove, you're going to be there. You're not going to backbite. You're not going to fall backward. You're not going to try to figure another way out of this situation. But you're going to let Him teach and train you. Romans chapter 8. See, God is calling not only sons, He's calling daughters. So He's calling you to be a part of His family. And Romans 8 talks about the family. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, be you debtors not to the flesh, but live after it. Uh, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, you will shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the body, then you shall live. When Christ had that contact with Satan, and the first thing was over food, well, you can imagine Christ had gone 40 days without eating. He's pretty hungry. He probably at the point of death. Satan knew that. And what was his comment? The first thing he said to Christ, turn this stuff, these rocks into food because you're going to die if you don't eat. But Christ's comment was, life, real life, complete life, is to live by every word of God. Not the physical food because these bodies are destined to to disintegrate. You were created that way. But the Spirit will live forever in a new body. Verse 14, For as many as are led by God's Spirit, they shall be called sons of God. Are you allowing us, are you allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit of God? And that's an important thing. To be a part of recognizing that I'm going to be a part of the family of God, then I have to be led in every way by the Spirit of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again, like Israel. They were bound by the law, bound by different things, but, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you can cry, Abba or Daddy, Father. We can cry, Thank you, Father. In John, 1 John chapter 3, 
cover one more here. First John chapter three verses one and two. First John three one and two. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Wherefore the world knows us not because it did not know Him. We are called the sons of God by our Father. Beloved, now we are not, now we, the sons of God, are we not sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for He, for we shall see Him as He is. We will become spirit. We will be a part of the family of God. And if lest we make those changes, you won't be a part of the family of God. So here John, uh, James, uh, Paul, all talk about a family relationship. And that's what God's building. He's building a family. He wants us to be a part of that family that He is building. So if we are family... There's a question. How do we treat each other? Christ said in Matthew 25, the way we treat each other is the way we treat God, the way we treat Christ. So, we have to ask ourselves, how do we treat each other? I know at times I make big mistakes and I lose my control and I treat other people the way I should not and I'm and I sit down and I cry about it because I love my family. I love my physical family and I love my spiritual family. And you are my spiritual family. And sometimes we, we can't control our actions. doesn't mean we're right. But we still have to love each other. So how, asking yourself, write it down or whatever, how do I treat my family? How do I treat other people in God's church? You might put down first part, do I encourage other people or do I tear them down? So one point in building a family and having a family relationship is is encouraging your family. Do we encourage each other? Somebody might be sick. Somebody might be might have a physical difficulty. Maybe they got a spiritual difficulty. Do we encourage them in the right direction? Or do we tear them apart? That's, if we tear each other apart, then we're destroying the family. And and we can't do that. We have to help and encourage. Everybody has a different problem. Some of us are old. Some of us are young. Some of us have financial problems. Some of us have physical problems. Some of us have mental problems. Do we know each other enough that we can go up there and help them through the difficulties that they're going? And God says we're all going to be tried because He wants us to... to Go through the trials that are on us for a purpose. 
so that we can help other people. In the world tomorrow, when they come through this trial that they're going to go through, they're going to be scared to death. They're going to be hiding because they're going to think there's, you know, who knows? Maybe they're thinking there's aliens from another world. Well, I guess you would think Christ was an alien because He's from someplace else. But they're going to be afraid. Are you going to be able to go to them and help them? Even today, somebody might be sick. Uh, Maybe they feel like they're dying. Can you go and encourage them and help them? I remember a case when a fellow I knew, a friend, back in Houston, got really sick. And and I thought it was difficult. To me, it was difficult because a lady went to him. He was dying. And he was scared. And she encouraged him to, to the point to think that this is just a temporary position. He said, don't fight it. Go to sleep and the pain and the suffering will leave. And she did it in a loving way. I mean, you can go up to somebody and say, go ahead and die. We want to get rid of you anyway. Or you can go up there and encourage them that God is with you. God's going to help you. He's only taking away the pain and pressure for the moment. Because there's a better life. When you wake up, you'll be in a different world. A world of peace and harmony. So can we encourage each other? In Hebrews 10, beginning verse 24. Hebrews 10. Encouraging each other is so important. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So here Paul was encouraging the people and said, Look, encourage your family to, to love and good works. Not bad works, but good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some be. So encourage people to be a part of services. Encourage people to be a part of God's way of life. And do that by saying, you need to be at Sabbath services. You need to be a part of, of them, encouraging them, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I've been discouraged many times. And I know people, I've known many people in the past get so discouraged of what this where they're living or their surroundings or maybe the they financial problems. Uh, I've had those financial problems too. And I found out that give it some time, they'll work out. They'll work out. They're not going to take your life. They can only take your physical life. People can only take physical life. They cannot take your spiritual life. So, do you encourage each other? You can't encourage each other unless you know each other. And that has been a problem that I have seen in the church for over 50 years. We don't know each other enough to know how to build each other up if we don't know each other. Sometimes it takes spending time with them. Sometimes it takes Letting them tell you their their problems. Because too many times 
We don't listen to what somebody else's problem is. We want to tell them our problems. We want to tell them our life. But we don't have time to sit down and say, what do you need? How are you doing? Can I help you with something? Tell me about your life. It's been a problem. I've, I've had sermonettes in times past in Fort Myers. Um, here, I've pointed out that we really know, need to know each other or we can't encourage each other if we don't know each other. We're family. Inside a family, and I have, I, I, I have a big family, and I know unless we know each other, know our fault. You don't know each other's faults unless you grow up together. So in this church, little church group here, we're trying to grow up together. But we can't grow up together if we don't know each other. Or we don't let each other know. Or we don't learn who you are. We don't learn your problems. We don't learn where you are in life. In Psalms chapter 41, David was always encouraging. Um, David, God used because of his skill, I guess, in singing and, and he worked with sheep for so many years. David said in Psalm 40, 41, four, verse 1, Blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Do we consider people's poverty? Do we consider that that they need help? But we don't know it if we're always doing our thing. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with them that uh, do rejoice and weep with them that weep. So can you rejoice with a brother and sister in Christ? You can with a family member, a, a sibling... You can rejoice when they rejoice, and you can cry when they cry. But can we do that with inside the church? We want to have a family. God wants a family, and He wants us to so much love each other that when we see a brother or a sister struggling, we can go to them and say, Can I help you? Tell me your problems. We're told that we can talk to each other. We don't have to tell them our sins down, you know, I'm sinning here and I'm sinning there and I've got this. But we can tell them we need help. I have physical problems. I've got spiritual problems. And you have to do it with love. It's easy to go up there and say, I saw you sin. You better straighten your life out. But can you go to them... I see you having a problem. Can I help you some way? Maybe there's something I can do that can ease the problem and make it a part to be a part of that family. God wants us to know each other enough and close enough that we can help each other in times of problems. And it's hard. I know it's really hard. Uh, but we need to we need to come to that point to rejoice when a brother or sister or a family, a family member in God's church is rejoicing, we can be happy for them. Too often we see somebody get a brand new car, say. And we sit back and say, I wish I had a new car. 
man, if I, if I did the same thing they did, I'd have a better new car. Or can you say, man, that's, it's so good that you now have transportation that you don't have to worry about. Can we rejoice that way? Can we rejoice when somebody gets a house or they have a baby or, you know, they, somebody gave them a check or they, they got some extra food or they got to go on a vacation someplace? Can we rejoice with them and not feel sorry for ourselves? If you are a true family member of God, you can rejoice when somebody's elevated to a deacon or to an elder. You can rejoice when somebody is baptized and come into the church. You can really shout for joy, just like the angels do. You can shout for joy because there is another person that God's working with. It's so great to be able to see and be able to rejoice with other people and not find fault with them. Galatians 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If a man be overtaken with a fault, it says, and people have done that. I've had faults, and I've been overtaken and, and, and been down. And I'm sure everybody that's been in the church of God for any length of time can come to that point to say, I have been overtaken with this fault. I just can't seem to solve the problem. So if you find somebody overtaken a fault, you which are spiritual, can you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness? And that you have to give credence to. Being meek. Not going up there and sticking your fingers under your arms and saying, now when I did this problem, no, meekness is being humble, being humili- being willing to help them up to get through the problem. In meekness, cons- considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So here he's saying, you don't go up there and say, I can do these things because I am that strong. The other person might not have the strength that you do in that area. But what about one of your weaknesses? Maybe that person is much stronger. Some people are weak when it comes to financial problems. Others, they don't worry about it. They take what they get and they're happy when they got it. So can we do that? Do we love our family? Can we encourage each other in that way? Because that's where the important parts are. Being able to help and guide and, and do it in meekness, in humility, in love to help each other. Hebrews 13, verse 3. Hebrews 13, 3. Remember them that are in bonds. So there are people that are today it's in bondage to some company that we work for, we find ourselves in bondage. Uh, we become slaves to society, slaves to a business. So here it's saying in 13.3, remember them that are in bonds, as bond with them. Are you in the same position they are? Treat them as if you were there. You're in the same position. And when... 
and then which suffer adversity as being yourself also in the same body. You treat them like the, the humility comes when you can talk with somebody who is struggling and you can be with them in that same struggle as if that was your struggle. Maybe you are so strong that that would never face you. I know there are people that I've known in times past. One one fellow I knew very close, called him a, a brother. He struggled with smoking and it actually took his life. But he struggled with it. Other than smoking, he was... a he had a lot of great qualities. But, you know, I encouraged him. I helped him the best I could. But I felt for him deeply because I knew it was a great trial. And he just could not lick it. It was just too much for him. I could have gone up there and said, if you don't change right now, you're out of here, buddy. I don't want you around anymore. Or do you go up there and encourage him? You could see his good points. You could see how he was helping many other people in his job and his abilities, his knowledge. But I also saw people that went up to him and just, they shunned him because they didn't agree with the way he did things. And so they put him down and they looked down on him and would not even talk to him for that problem. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to be able to encourage you. So what if you find somebody in the world tomorrow that came through and you're God now, a son of God, part of the bride of Christ, and this is a person who has a great struggle. Are you going to just wipe him out? Or can you have the compassion to lead him in the path of righteousness and get him away from whatever this problem that he has? Because that's what God's expecting from us. So, if we're going to be a part of the family of God, one of the things we have to do is be able to encourage each other. I'm telling you, it's, a, it's really a struggle sometimes. You have to fight your attitude because you find they make a mistake. And you can sit back and say, I would never do it that way. Or would you? Sometimes we can judge people based on our personality, on our life, and the way we grew up. But we don't know how they grew up and the struggle they had. So it's very easy to find fault with people as long as you're not looking at yourself first. And so you've got to start by encouraging people by, not, by being meek and, and friendly and loving and kind to help them through the struggle they are. And not considering yourself that, well, I am so much better than, hey, I just won't talk to that person or I won't help them out. They need your help. Each one of us needs each other to help us through this struggle that we go through all the time. So the first thing that I got on on this uh, in part of being a family of God is to help each other. Encouraging somebody else to do the right things. Even when you see it wrong. When you see them doing something that's totally wrong, you have enough to 
would love to point out their mistake. Too many people I've known here on this property who want to go to Matthew 18 and say, you've sinned, you've done this thing, you're this bad, and it's about time you change and do things my way. No, they don't say my way, but they it's basically what they're doing. But Matthew 18 is not set up that way. Matthew 18 says, when you reconcile yourself to God with your attitude and your mind and your way, then you can go to your brother with love and point out with love and meekness and encourage them to do the right things. It's easy to find the fault and jump on with two feet, but it's very difficult to be meek and loving and kind and encourage them in doing the right things. And that's what God wants. The second point I put down, are we thankful for the little things? Uh, late, I've been sitting out there going back to a sermon that I, or a sermon that I don't know which one anyway, it was uh, Zippity Doodah. Zippity A. My oh my, what a wonderful day. And I think I get up in the morning and can I come up and say, wow, it's another beautiful day. Another opportunity to see my mistakes and change and another opportunity to encourage somebody else. It's difficult at times when it's raining or it's snowing and you're like me and I'm cold nature. Uh, you know, Daryl brings out many times, yeah, he he loves the hot weather. Well, I do. You can dress for the cold, they say, but you can't dress for the, the hot weather. Ah, you can. You just have to have the right frame of mind. <laughs> and you need to be able to get up and look out there and say, Wow, and I've done this a couple of times in the past few weeks. Somebody asked, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing great. I didn't see a tag on my toe this week. <laughs> so, you know, or my name's not in, been in the, in the uh, obituaries. And it's not been in jail. Or it's not in the hospital. Or it's not being beat on or beating somebody else up or being arrested or the law looking for you. Whatever it is, you know, can you get up and say, Wow, another beautiful day, even if it's raining. Out here, we can say, fantastic if we got a rainy day because the ground needs a rainy day. Or we can say, thank you for the change of weather. I've lived in Florida. I told my, one of my daughters recently, I said, you know, you have winter down there. You might have it two weeks in February. Or you might have a week in January and one in February. But that's winter for you. The rest of the time it's summer. But here we have summer, uh, winter. We have spring. We have summer, fall, winter, and spring. You know, we have all the seasons. And we can enjoy every bit of it. But to be thankful that you have a house I told Patsy the other day, we have a beautiful house. There are people in South Africa where I was down there that they have a 10 by 10 cardboard shelter that's tied to a cardboard shelter next to them, to one next to them, to one next to them. And they're 
their inside wall is the inside, the other side of that wall is the inside wall of somebody else's house. So we have a lot to be thankful for. We have cars, trucks, tractors, lots of food. Uh, here in this area, anybody that's elderly or has struggle for an income, we get a, a food box every week. <laughs> and we get lots of food. Sometimes we say, what am I going to do with this 200 pounds of beans we've been getting over a couple of years? Or this 150 pounds of rice? Uh, we can be thankful that at least we're getting it. So are you thankful for the little things? They don't have to be big things. Just little things. A friend next door. Uh, just whatever it is. Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Thankful for the little things that come along. Paul, speaking to the people, to the church of God, the church worldwide, the church from Paul's time through today, he says in verse 8, Finally, my brethren, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, can you be thankful that you have a lot of things that come that are true? God's Word? Truth. Are you thankful for the truth? Whatsoever things are honest. When you run into honesty and and that, are you thankful that you can spot and see honesty? Whatsoever things are just. There's a lot of unjust things in this world today. But do we, are we thankful when we run into just things? Just rewards? Just friends? Just neighbors? Whatsoever things are pure. We can go to Sabbath services. We can turn on the line and listen to I think online we have probably about 500 sermons. Uh, we have tapes that will cover over a thousand sermons. If you really want to have something that's pure and hear God's Word, it's pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. I know I look at some of my great-grandkids and I think they have good personalities, but beauty <laughs> they don't have. But they have good personalities and they have good parents. So do we uh, find lovely things? Do we love each other? Are we thankful that we have a brother or a sister, a family member, biological or spiritual, that we can have them love us? Whatsoever things are a good report. Or do we only look for the bad reports? Are we thankful that we can get good reports of how other people are doing? If there's any virtue or if there's any praise, these are the things to think on. So can we think on all the good that's around us? It's easy to think on the bad. There's a lot of that, a lot of bad happening in this world. But can we put that aside and look for the good? Look for the, the things that will make others happy. 
those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul said. So we look to those that we can see, that we can look to as being uh, examples of the right way to live. Can we look to the good in those people and see and, and do and the God of peace will be with you. If we're looking for the good, if we're thinking on the positive things, if we're thinking on things that are right and just, God says He will be with you. Because we've got that job coming up, like I said before, that we're going to have to look for the good in those people that go through the world tomorrow. It's going to be easy to say, well, you know, God spared you. you got a, you're a bad person, but uh, maybe I can... No, you look for anything that they can do good. If you look for the good that they can do, then you're able to help them, even to do more good, and help them to be a part of the family of God. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Thinking on the right things, on the little things, the things that sometimes don't seem to be very much, but we want to think on little things as much as big things. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of Emmanuel the Christ. So if we, when we have a prayer for our food, we say, wow, thank you Father for what we have for this meal. We don't have to be like the sheep that are outside there and have to eat dry hay. We don't have to take and drink from dirty pool, uh, ponds. We don't have to stay outside. You know, God provides us with fantastic food. Can we think on those things? Job twenty wrote Job chapter one, verse twenty-one. Job, because. God allowed Satan. Job had a problem. But what did God do? He approached the problem in a way of mercy and love. And so Job said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord has taken away. But he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he was so thankful for what he had. He didn't see himself being self-righteous and, and, and all those things. He just was pointing out that he was thankful that he had life. He was thankful that he had a place to live. He was thankful for his mother and father. And he was thankful for God giving him life. Isaiah 63. Thinking on the right things. Isaiah 63 Verse 7, wanting to be thankful for little things and big things, just to be learning to be thankful for what you have. I remember a fellow in Florida, I took care of the bees, his bees, he lived in Arkansas. And he'd come down there and I tried to get his bees, it kept them in good shape for him. And he made the comment once, I said, well, I don't know, told him, I don't know how much you're going to get out of there. He said... You know, it don't make any difference. I am just thankful if I only get a box of honey. 
or I'm thankful if I get ten barrels. But either way, it's more than I had before. I'm just thankful that I get whatever I get from God. So here in Isaiah 63, verse 7, I will mention the loving kindness of God, of the Lord. Uh, Can we mention how loving and kind our Father and Christ is to us? And the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed upon us. Can you look at what you have? Maybe a new car, maybe an old car. But it's it's a car. I took my daughter to the um, uh, place right down the road here (laughs) uh, where the water comes out of the rock. And they had these wagons there that these people used to come across the country on. And I said, wow, that must have been a horrendous trip. They made five or ten miles a day. And these wagons were steel wheels and no no soft pillows, no uh, springs that let you ride smoothly over the bumps. Now, they were pretty rough looking. And then there was the, the lady there that she was talking about how they made the cheese and the milk and the stuff that they took from from here, which is just down the road a piece, 15 miles, to St. George when they were building the temple. And she said, you know, it took them four days. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm thankful I can get in my car and get down to St. George in an hour. And if I go really fast, a little less than an hour. Am I thankful that I have transportation like that and not have to spend four days to go, what, 55 miles? It takes four days. That's a long trip. So, am I thankful for those things that God is... And the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He has bestowed on them according to to God's mercy and according to the multitude of His loving kindness. Are you thankful? Can you really sit up there and say, I am really thankful that God's given me the opportunity to be a part of His family. To be here. To be here the words of God. Am I really thankful for all those things? Well, it's something we need to think about. Point three is appreciate what others do. Are you really appreciative to what others can do. Uh, sometimes we don't really appreciate the fact that others can do things that you can't do. Do we appreciate the fact that there are others with who God had given them the knowledge that they created generators that they can build a dam to create electricity so we can have air conditioning, we can have heating, we can have light, can you think back to the people that came across this country? The light that they had was maybe from a kerosene lantern or maybe just the fire that they built that they could sit out. Do we really appreciate everything that God has done for us? It's hard sometimes for me to think about that. When I live in a society where I can run to the store 
and get a gallon of milk. I don't have to go out there and corral the cow, wash it down some, get underneath there and squeeze the milk out of it, and then have some milk to drink. I don't have to do that. I just need to run over here to bees and, you know, I can take a 15-minute trip over to bees and get a gallon of milk. Somebody else did all the work. <laughs> do I appreciate that stuff? Do you appreciate the car? Do you appreciate a brother or sister who can be around and give you a hand? I, I've done a lot of things. And a lot of times I try to do them by myself because I don't appreciate the ability of somebody else to help me. But I told a son-in-law today, I said, thank you for putting logs in this wood-burning stove so we can have some heat in here. And I don't have to pick it up. I mean, I appreciated that. Because it's very difficult for me as I got older. I told Beth this morning, I said, when I was 45, 40 and 45, I can remember throwing 90 pounds of honey over my head. And then... I got to where I appreciated being able to put it on a pallet and using a forklift, which really made it a lot easier. And now I appreciate my daughter and her husband taking it off and extracting and sending me some money. <laughs> because it's a lot of work. There are some out here that dig ditches. There are some out here that, that uh, built cars that can weld or can iron and sew. I appreciate the ladies that cook meals. And I know any man that can sit out there and say, wow, that's a great meal. I really appreciate those women making this meal. We should be appreciating the, the meal that's brought to us today. Uh, do we do that? That's something to think about. Do you appreciate the good things? What God has said to the churches. You know, do we appreciate God's Word? This stuff was written, you go to, I think it's James, tells us that everything that's in this book wasn't written because some guy was a writer and wanted to write a novel or something. But it says in James, this, or maybe it's, Peter. Anyway, it's, it says the things that's in this Bible were written by who? By anybody? No. By holy men that God moved their mind to write. So all of this was uh, written for us, for our good, for the church today. So I appreciate that. I appreciate Paul and John, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Noah, Abraham. I appreciate the fact what they went through. We can go to Rome, uh, Hebrews 11 and read and try to think and really appreciate what those that are recorded there in Revelation, I mean Hebrews 11, I can really appreciate what they did for me. And I can learn to appreciate when I do that what Christ did for every one of us. And that's important for each one of us 
to get back and think and appreciate what God has done. Here a few few weeks back, I think it was, I did a Bible study. And I want to be able to appreciate what what Christ wrote for me to learn, for you to learn. He gave to the church, uh, to us. And in that Bible study, I brought out the importance of the churches. I grew up in the church and was told that I live in the Philadelphia era of the church. We have the best time of anybody before us. And so all I have to do is to read what it says to Philadelphia. And then I can sit back and appreciate the fact that I'm a Philadelphian. But when I brought out in that Bible study, that Bible study was written to all the churches for all the churches to learn. And so what he says is in that whole series there to the seven churches, what I'm saying to this church, I say to the church, the whole church, not to just one era of the church, but I say it to the whole church, to everybody that's involved. And so I wrote and put down here the good things. Some of the areas of the eras of the church had good points. And maybe we want to look there and say, okay, I want to be that part of that church, that body, the good things that were brought out. I don't want to look at the bad things. I don't want to look at the good things. So he said to Ephesus, I know your works, your labor. Oh, so I can sit back and think, oh, God's looking at my works, my labor, uh, my patience. Do I have patience? Well, I must have because you know that's a good point. That's something good. I, I need to think about that. My patience. So maybe, maybe this part of of Ephesus is good for me. And how you cannot bear them that are evil. Well, I can look back and say, I just don't like evil people. I don't like the way the society's going, and I I just don't want to have them around. And you have tried them which say they're apostles. I look around and I say, well, this minister, he thinks he's the apostle or this person thinks he's the, he's the, best, person, the best minister around. Yeah, I, that, that, I kind of believe I can fall in that category. So I look at that good points that uh, God said to Ephesus and say, okay, uh, I'll look at that. I, I'll, do, I'll follow that. And he said to Smyrna, I know your works, tribulation, your poverty. Well, I've had trials and trouble, so yeah, God, God puts me in that point. He tells, tells me, uh, yeah, you've got trials, and you've gone through some of these trials and these tribulations, and, um, but uh, you're rich. Okay, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm rich. Do, do, do you look at that part of it? Do we look at, uh, appreciate the fact that that God said these are good things. Do I appreciate being able to look in my life and say, yep, I've had trials and tribulations, but, you know, I'm rich. 
compared to worldly standards, like I said, I've been in South Africa, and uh, I see a lot of poor people. I've been out to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, and I saw a lot of people suffering. I've worked for uh, different people in the beekeeping, and I see six or seven families living in one house, and they struggle to get by. I've had people work for me that didn't have very much. And I think, why well, I'm a boss and I've got all these good things. So I can put myself and say, ah, I'm probably part of some Samira, Samaria, of the Samaritan church. And then I can look at uh, Pergamos. Uh, these things, he says, I know your works. Isn't it interesting that God always tells the church, I look at your works. In other words, He's saying to each one of us, I know you. I chose you. I selected you. I put you here and I know what you're doing every day. I know your works. And to here, to Pergamos, I know your works. Where you dwell. I know where you dwell. We dwell in uh, Babylon today, don't we? We live in Babylon. God said, come out of Babylon, but you're still going to live in Babylon. So He knows where we are. So, is it just a small group of people? No. He knows our works. So He knows our works. I know where you are. I know that your works where you dwell, where Satan's seat is. I can guarantee you, this country, Satan is in control of it. And you hold fast my name. So, for us, are we holding fast God's name, the church of God? God is our Father. We hold a name. He's our Father. Unto Thyatira, he writes, I know your works too. These things says the Eternal, whose eyes, who has the eyes like the flame of fire. I know your works. I know your love, how much service you do to other people. I know your faith, your patience, the works, and the last is more than the first. Oh, maybe I'm, I'm in Thyatira. Because I do all these good things. But I've had and been told, you know, when you start boasting about the good things you do, so here, Thyatira is saying, God's saying to them, He sees all these things, but do you boast of all the good things you've done? It's hard to change an attitude where you can go sit back in your chair and think, I've done all these things. So where do we find ourselves sitting when we say that? To Sardis, God had not much to say about them. I know your works, verse chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. I know your works, that you have a name that you live. But listen to what he says. You have a name, the church of God, but you're dead. 
It's so strange that God had not a whole lot to say about Sardis. Other than he said, be watchful and strengthen the things that you, that, ha- that you have. So do we appreciate the things that we have? Here God's telling Sardis, appreciate, strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Take a look. You're becoming to a point where you're going to die. Your whole church is going to die. To Philadelphia, he didn't have much to say wrong other than that. Uh, Let me get to that point. He says, These things says he that is holy, that is true. He that has the key of David. He that opens and no man shuts. And no, and it shuts and no man opens. I haven't been at a point where God has opened the door that we are able to do all that we can do. And once we start doing it, it can't be shut down. But when God shuts the door, and maybe I can put myself at that point, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be at that point where God shuts the door on everything that I've done. I told somebody not too long ago, that if you walk away from what God gives you, you'll lose what you have. Too many times in my life in the church, I saw people walk away. And when they did that, because they did not appreciate what God gave to them, they were not looking at the, and, uh, the small things, and they didn't appreciate what God gave to them. They're not here anymore. They went back to a life that they had at one time before and said, hey, why should I worry? I mean, I got freedom. But they will not be a part of the bride of Christ. They will not be a part of the first resurrection. And finally, he shows to the seventh church. He didn't have a lot of good to write to them. He said didn't have good. He said the vapor and true witness, the beginning of the creation, I know your works. And all they could say to them is, you're not hot and you're not cold. They were not hot. They were not in fire out there really going after God's way of life. But they were just sitting in church. I'm making an appearance. I'm not hot, but I'm not totally gone off someplace else. But I go to church services. I'll keep the Sabbath to an extent. But they were not all fired up. So they had good things, except for a couple of them. One of them being Sardis and the other being Laodicea. Didn't have a lot of good. You know, Sardis, when he said, uh, you're dying, (laughs) you know. That's not good. And to Laodicea, you're just not fired up wanting to do my way of life. But he did go back and he pointed out bad things. And we want to be a part of the family of God. Can we look at the, at the things that need to be changed? We, we hear good things, things that we, 
we're doing. God says, you're doing this and this is great. Or you're doing that and this is great. But there are things that you're not doing. To Sardis, I mean to Ephesus, he said, one of the biggest problems, he said, nevertheless, I have something against you. What did he have against them? They lost their first love. Where do you sit today? Are you really happy and thinking about the things God did for you when you first came in the church? Do you appreciate God? Do you appreciate the friends? When I came in the church, I had a lot of people come by helping us, encouraging us to do this, to go this direction. But to Ephesus, he said, you forgot that stuff. And so I find to to the different churches that he points out their bad points. To Sardis, he said, you're dead. To Laodicean, he said, you're lukewarm. So no matter what, you know, you, you never get fired up to do the right things. You, you just seem to get fired up for doing things that... You, you want to be accredited of being a part of the church. So we can see that between Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Laodicea, it seems that those three have the key elements that point to uh, falling away from church, of not appreciation, not helping others, and not thinking of the good things. So he says to to, F, uh, to Samaria, you left your first love. To Laodicea said, they say in Laodicea, I don't need God. I don't need a preacher. Of course, Paul in Romans 10 said, how can you learn without a preacher? Laodicea says, I don't need a teacher. I've got it all. I've got the Bible. And I don't need anything but the Bible. I can learn it all on my own. But it's contradicting to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10 when he said, unless you have somebody there teaching you, you'll not learn everything you need to know. And they can't come and teach unless I give them that job. We have to go, if we're going to be a part of the family of God, we have to live, as Christ said to Satan, by every Word of God. Not just what pleases us, but what every word of God. So we find that Laodicea said, hey, I don't need anything else. Sardis said, they just quit. They started dying because they, they did not look at the right things. And Ephesus they just forgot where they came from. I want to be appreciated. I want you to be appreciated. James was inspired to write in James chapter 1, verse 22. James was inspired to write, Be you doers of the Word. Doers. Getting out there and putting every effort into it and not hearers only. And deceiving your own selves. When we don't do what we're told to do, when we don't appreciate God 
and everything He's done for us. If we don't look for the best and think of the greatest things that God has done, think of the world tomorrow and how there's going to be peace and harmony and happiness. He said, if we're only hearers, if we only listen to sermons, but we don't apply them to our life, then we're deceiving ourselves. We become deceitful and falling short of the mark. In verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and doesn't control his tongue, his but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So if we can't control every word we say, and I know it's difficult, I can ask you to pray for me because I find it very difficult to not offend somebody in some way or another with what I say. And I don't want my religious, I don't want my life in the church to be nothing but vain, worthless, of no value. I spent over 50 years, I've got to get back and think, I've got to make a value out of my life and not something that's not a value. Galatians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto to him that teaches in all good things. So here he's telling us we should hear these words and we should be willing to communicate with the person whatever way it takes to communicate with the person that's teaching them in the good things. And be not deceived, God says in through Paul. God is not mocked. We're not we can't go up there and make light of what we're being taught and if we're not doing the work then we're making light of it and we're mocking God. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. Be careful, God is saying. I'm telling you there is a way to be a part of the family. I'm building a family. But if you are mocking God, not taking God seriously, that's why you mock Him. You don't take it seriously. You don't realize that you have a chance to be a part of, the, of God. Then you're mocking God. And He says, whatever you sow, the way you live your life, the way you set example to people, that's what you're going to get back. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap the flesh. Corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall reap Spirit and shall reap everlasting life. He wants us to be a part of his family. What do you do? How are you living your life? You know, those points that, that I gave that shows that there are ways to love each other be a part of the family of God. Are you working at it? Do you sow the right way? Or are you sowing? Are you just doing things for physical gain? Or are you doing things for spiritual gain? It's a, it's a requirement. I want to be a part of the family. I want each one of you to be a part of the family. 
I want us to be able to go out there and help somebody else. And when we see a brother or sister in Christ that is struggling some way, don't tear them apart. Help them with love, compassion, meekness. Help them to get through the struggle that they have that they too, like you, can be a part of the bride of Christ. It's a struggle. And I'm only asking that you pray for for me, you pray for Daryl, you pray for each other to be a part of that family.